One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to the Syrupcast, Mobile Syrup's Canadian tech-focused podcast. I'm Brad Bennett. You may remember me from last week's episode about the C- about CES and the Galaxy S21 series of phones. Uh, but this week, things are going to be a little different. Pat's not here, and I'm going to steer the conversation more towards or more away from gadgets and more towards the Canadian telecom and business industries. And for that, Aisha Malik, who is Mobile Syrup's business and telecom reporter, is here to help us out. How are you doing, Aisha? I'm great. How are you doing? <laughs> Pretty good. It's been a long time since you've been on the podcast. Are you excited to be back? Yeah, absolutely. Like I know we've been talking about doing this for a while, so it's nice to finally sit down and talk about some telecom news. Yeah, there was, I forget, what, I think it was when Bain stepped down a few weeks ago or last week? Was last, it last week, week, yeah. Yeah, it was last week when we were doing the CES podcast. And before we went into the podcast, um, I had the Bain's thing in the hottest news of the week section, just to briefly mention it. Mm-hmm. And I was like to Pat, I had to message him beforehand. I was like, all right, don't bring up Aisha. Every time we do a telecom thing, <laughs> one of us will say, we're going to get Aisha on here someday and we're going to really dive deep into this. I'm like, don't bring it up. We're just going to do it. We're going to do it really soon. And <laughs> here we are today. We're doing it. Yes, um, finally. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's exciting. I think it's kind of a return to form for the podcast. Like pre my days, I think it was very telecom business focused. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, Shruti did a little bit of that when she was here as well. So I think it's... I'm hoping it's exciting for the listeners that we kind of bring this angle back and, and highlight it a little more. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, with that, let's uh, let's get into the episode. Um, so I guess the big thing is what we'll talk about still is Bain stepping down. Was that a surprise to the industry? I mean, it was a surprise to me, but did you guys who kind of are more on the pulse of this, were you aware? So I would say it was definitely a surprise to the telecom industry. So... It happened last week, and the the news was leaked to the media on Sunday night, and then Baines confirmed it the Monday morning. And then like an hour after he confirmed it, the virtual cabinet shuffle took place. So I think it was certainly an interesting way to start the year for telecom, and I, to be frank, I don't think anyone was expecting it. I guess you're right. It, it did kind of start at the beginning of the year, so maybe behind the scenes this was something that was planned for a long time, but yeah. From from my perspective, people don't really like go away from these offices unless it's scandal or something usually. <laughs> so when he was stepped down, it was just like, oh my goodness, what happened to Baines? I always thought he was a cool dude. Um, so, yeah. but yeah, what, why did he step down? Right. So just to kind of preface that, I know a lot of people first thought that it was related to a scandal just because we had a bunch of Canadian politicians uh, stepping down for like traveling amid COVID restrictions. What we think happened behind the scenes was Trudeau asked his ministers, like in case there's an election this year, who wanted to stay on, who wanted to leave. So they're kind of set for the year. And I think Mm. Baines kind of came forward and said that he wasn't interested in uh, running in the next election. So the reason he said he's retiring, um, well, so he's retiring from politics. So the reason that he said he's leaving was to spend more time with his kids and just kind of focus on his job as a dad. That's fair. I mean, I guess, yeah, that makes 
sense. It, and you said retiring from politics, meaning like he's probably still going to work on things that happen after politics. What are they? Are they advisors? Uh, what's the word? <laughs> um, go into. So basically, he did. So he's in his mid forties. I think he's like forty five. So he's still fairly young. Mm-hmm. And so young the, to retire for sure. Definitely. So. I think since he worded it as him retiring from politics, it kind of signals that we could see him in like a non uh, non political job in like a couple of years or so, maybe something in the private sector. So mm-hmm. it does show that like he's not like retiring in the sense of like he's like done working or whatever. But I guess if he's moving out of the sector for now, um, we'll talk about the new guy. So this new guy is Francois Philippe Champagne. I'm hoping to pronounce that as French as I can. Um, and what do we know about him? Do you think he's going to be, you know, as popular as Baines was? So, okay. Uh, I'm not sure in terms of like the popularity thing, because to just to kind of be fair, Baines did, uh, face his fair share of criticism as well. But in terms of what we know about Champagne, also, I'm pretty sure I'm not saying that name correctly either, but let's see. Um, so yeah, so Champagne was the former foreign affairs minister. So once news came that he was going to replace Baines, experts kind of weighed in and said that uh, Champagne's past experience will help him in the role. And Trudeau himself has said that uh, Champagne's experience in the fields of innovation and engineering will help him to work to rebuild the economy after the pandemic, which is something that Champagne has been tasked with um, as the innovation minister. It's interesting that he has the engineering background, though. I mean, is that something that Baines had or the innovation ministers have in general? Just from our perspective, we know that they sort of uh, interface with the tech world so often. So do you think like having this will be helpful for someone who's sort of trying to set laws and mandates and things or create ideas around the tech sector in Canada? Yeah, absolutely. So just kind of speaking to his former role, since he was a foreign affairs minister, it's definitely going to help him. Um in this role because he's, he's already kind of formed those international partnerships with other world um, officials and stuff. So I think this kind of ties into the whole Huawei security thing because he was, as foreign affairs minister, he kind of had these relations with China already, not directly related to Huawei. But I think I just want to point out that he's already started to comment on the ongoing uh, Huawei 5G security review. So I think this was last uh, last week on Monday. He was in the position for like an hour. And uh, mm-hmm. reporters had already asked him, like, wh- when are we going to see this decision? Because we have it is something that we've been uh, waiting on for a while. And he said... The Huawei um, decision? Yeah. Um, he's and like... Just, wait, before we dive too into it, just to be clear, it's the Huawei decision related to uh, the Canadian government allowing 5G telecom equipment in yep. Canada? You got okay, it. Okay, cool. You got it. So he did say that his office is going to take the appropriate time to come to a decision and that they won't be rushed, which kind of, I think, was... Not a direct, like, drag, but it does kind of relate to how um, the conservatives last year tried to force the federal government to come to a decision. But his office now saying that, like, we're going to take our time shows that he is ready to be in this position and that his past um, experience as a foreign affairs minister will uh, help him out. No, that's good. I mean, and it's probably better to have someone like... Uh... I'm going to say bullish. And like I said, I don't know too much about this, but it's probably better to have someone sort of bullish in this like role because Mm -hmm. yeah, especially with this Huawei thing, like there is a lot of pressure coming from like other countries, Huawei itself, like um, the fact that there's already like Huawei equipment here and like all these other things and just the whole blow up with it over the past few years, the, uh, the Meng Wow case, is that the right way to pronounce that? Probably not, but you know what I'm talking about? Like just the (laughs) Huawei thing has been kind of a, 
a news tornado for the past few years. Mm-hmm. So him not being influenced by that and like trying to take his time to step back is, is probably good. Um, my main thing that I've been watching with the sort of innovation minister area, long title word, um, was the the mandate to bring cell phone prices down. They haven't said anything about that yet, have they? But that was still happening. Yeah. So just to kind of go back to Baines, one of the things that um, I think will stay part of his legacy was how he was um, essentially the face of, like you said, the liberal government's promise to reduce mid-range cell phone plans by 25% over the uh, next two years. So this was totally like a huge part of Trudeau's re-election campaign in 2019. And just to your point about where we're at with it, um, so Baines's office did publish two quarterly, quarterly reports to track the progress of the promise uh, of the promise, and they do show, unfortunately, quite slow progress towards the goal. And the little bit of advancement that we are seeing towards lowered prices is mainly just promotional pricing. So it's not even like permanent changes, which is unfortunate. Um, But I do think the last quarterly report, I think was released in November. So we'll see another one in like a month or so. So we might see some changes there as well. But obviously, it'll come from uh, Champagne's office now. Yeah, I mean, that's a big one. I mean, uh, there's all I mean, being in Canada, you always see reports where it's like, Canadians are paying the most of the world for like Mm -hmm. internet plans. And I don't know if that's true. But we are paying among the most, it seems like we pay a lot uh, for the little data that we get. I mean, that sort of changed. I I think the trying to think of the right word, but almost the uh, the midpoint of the data price spectrum change with the 75, 20 gig plans that are sort of so popular right now. But mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, those things can go away. So once we see the those probably go back to $75 for 10 gigabytes of unlimited in air quotes data, it'll be, yeah, the price difference will change again. So it'll be interesting to see if it's like pressure from Champagne and the, his whole office can push them, can push yeah. them lower. And so- also, that was over two, it was supposed to be over two years, right? So the first year mm-hmm. of that is over, meaning we should see results at some point this year. Do you think we actually will? Um, to be honest, in the way that we're going so far, I don't think we're going to see too many changes, especially since it is just mainly promotional pricing. And I will point out that um, mm-hmm. this promise is for like mid-range plans, which is like two gigs to six gigs. So okay. that's like what they're targeting. And even with that, when we do see um, reduced pricing, it is just, like I said earlier, promotional. It does seem like we may see something this year if there is more pressure put on from the government. But just mm-hmm. in terms of like looking at prices, even now, there's not, we're not, we're not there yet. Fair enough. This, and okay. So yeah, that's fair. I mean, I've read a lot about the deals that like Fido, Virgin, and Kudu offer. And yeah, like it's always double the data. The deal usually lasts a month-ish. Mm-hmm. Sometimes less, sometimes more. But on average, I think the deals usually last around a month unless they're super hot and then the carriers tend to keep them around a little longer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like you can get double data and if you get it on a deal, then you're lucky. You get a good plan for a little bit. But if you don't, then you're stuck with like four gigs and you're paying, mm-hmm. I don't know, 60, 70 bucks for it if you have a phone on that contract. And that's a lot of money. Yeah, especially yeah. for... Four gigs you can burn through. Um, oh, I just had something I was going to say on this. Oh, uh, I remember writing about this one day. Maybe you were off or something. It was a long time ago, so it's going to be pretty vague. And this was about the re- reduction or the attempted reduction in phone plans. But there was a report saying, and I don't know who this came from, but there was, a, I think it was a report saying that like 
kind of over the past few years, data plans have already went down 25%. Um, so if we like followed that trend, we would be going down naturally anyway. Um, do you think that might line up? The only reason I kind of believe it now is where, you know, in the next three years, maybe like cusp of 5G becoming a more wider rollout, meaning mm-hmm. putting people on those 4G networks might be cheaper. Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, so that is sort of what, um, not government officials necessarily, but experts in the telecom industry have said that um, prices will go down naturally over time. But I okay. think the argument to that is people wanting it now because it is something that's been promised for a while. And I don't blame the average consumer for, you know, getting a bit upset about, um, you know, it's not like, wh- when when can we expect the change, you know? Yeah, Um and post COVID, I think the COVID uh, lockdowns have sort of changed like phone, like physical phone hardware pricing mm-hmm. a little bit. They seem to have come down. But post COVID, I mean, the price of phones themselves are ramping up to sort of ridiculous like $2,000 price points. And combining that with expensive plans, it was getting like this really weird situation where, yes, like Canadians can get cheap phones and cheap plans, but are they good? No. So, yeah. you know, it's like we're not necessarily we want to push people into using uh, subpar hardware on 3G networks. Mm-hmm. So. So this kind of does relate to what you asked me before about whether you think um, champagne will be as popular as Bane's. Like just in Mm. relation to people wanting change, from what I've seen online after like looking around at the response to the switch on social media, some people are hopeful that a change could be a good thing and that a fresh perspective from champagne might speed up the changes that uh, Canadians have wanted for so long, like affordability and greater competition. So. It'll That's definitely fair. be interesting to see how we approaches these things. I do think a switch could definitely be a good thing as well, just to kind of see if perhaps a different way of doing things could mean more for the consumer. No, yeah, you're probably right. I think that's that's kind of a good perspective to look at it. Like, yeah, I mean, do you know off the top of your head how long Baines was in office? If you don't, it's fine. I'm just curious. Yeah, so um, he was yeah. uh, five years. Okay, yeah, so that is a long time. I mean... That's yeah, five years taking a switch. Even for anyone doing five years at the same job, probably gets mm-hmm. a little boring. And like we yeah. did expect him to be there for the um, next what is it three years as well of Trudeau's term, but mm-hmm. obviously uh, people were kind of giving him criticism for either not not necessarily slowing things down, but not speeding them up either. So this definitely could be a good thing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's all I kind of have on that. I know there was like a bunch of other ministers and people in the cabinet that were shuffled. Is there anyone else in that that kind of relates to tech as that that shuffle happened? Um, yeah, uh, but just firstly, we I just want to touch on how um, sure. Champagne's uh, mandate letter kind of differentiates from Baines's as well. Because, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so normally, of course, the the all the ministers got their mandate letters in. Uh, 2019, that's when Trudeau was elected again, right? Yes. Um, I believe so, yeah. <laughs> I hope that's correct. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so obviously since Champagne um, has come in over a year later after Baines, is re- uh, Baines received his first mandate letter, uh, Champagne differs just slightly. Um, so for instance, his mentions that he'll have to work to build trust in the COVID alert app, which I think is really fascinating. Oh, yeah. Because it'll be interesting to see if he can achieve something like that, you know, because it is a very timely thing to add to the letter. 
Yeah. And I mean, I know people. I remember once when it first came out in the summer, was it might have been later summer. I was hanging out with my buddies and I was just like, oh, like do the COVID alert app yet. He's like, I'm I'm not gonna let the government track me. (laughs) I was just like, oh boy. Uh, Yeah. So people really are like afraid of it, you know? Definitely. I've had Um, people email me and be like, why are you promoting this? Like the government's spying on us. And I'm like, no Uh, guys, like we're trying to help everybody. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. I mean, what do you think he can do in that space? I already see so many COVID alert ads. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So I think that's why mm-hmm. it's so fascinating because you'd think, like, in my opinion, the government is doing quite a bit. Like, every time uh, Trudeau does a press conference, he'll be like, please download the app. All the ministers who aren't even, like, um, part of the tech industry are promoting it as well. You'll see ads, like, everywhere, Instagram as well. So YouTube, yeah. Exactly, like- yeah. So I'm not sure what else he can do, but it, it, it is fascinating to be tasked with something like that. Mm-hmm. I guess the one thing I would maybe argue is that, like, the ads, you can clearly tell they paid a lot of money for them because they're, mm-hmm. like, trendy colors and they look really clean. And even the video ads, like, follow that same, like, visual design. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that, like, pop tech modern visual design is, is scaring people away from it or maybe making people not take it as seriously as they should be. Yeah, I mean, especially since they all kind of look the same, I'm sure people are just like straight up ignoring it now if they've like made up their mind. I think Champagne's problem will be not just spreading the word, but convincing people that like it's safe, like everyone should have this tool. It's like it's not going to track you or anything. It's super safe. It's been um, approved by the Privacy Commissioner of Canada as well. So I think Mm -hmm. the government has done its part in spreading the word. Now it's just like convincing people, you know? Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, yeah, then the not tracking thing is is hard to wrap your head around at first because you're like, well, it should have to track me, but it's not necessarily like that. I'm, I'm going to sort of outline it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You know more, way more about it. But essentially, is your phone has a code. My phone has a code. It's a long string of numbers and letters that neither of us probably are able to remember mm-hmm. uh, and could never be tied back to us. But if our phones came near each other, then they would swap codes. We would still keep our original codes, but I would know you were near me because I would have your code on my phone. You would have my code on your phone, along with a list of a bunch of other codes um, related to all the people you were near in the past, I don't know, however long it saves the data for. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if one of the people has COVID, they just put it in their app. And then any other app that has come in contact with that code, still not related to anyone's name, address, face, physical location, but anyone that's been near that code be alerted simple yeah. stuff I, I don't know i guess not no, but, no that was great <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but uh yeah it's it's tricky and like yeah i don't know there's just like not even a very big seriousness about it i remember being at home at christmas and, and like seeing people and being like and people are like oh yeah i guess i should get around to getting the app like, I should download it. it's like yeah probably like and i'm not trying to force anyone to do what they don't want to but mm-hmm. uh there just was a slow a slow uptick in with it 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 Maybe that was part of like COVID. We kind of felt like it was going, not at Christmas time, but before that people kind of were like in the summer, people thought it was going yeah. away and then it, it didn't and we're here again. You're, you're so absolutely maybe- right. Cause it did, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but it no, did, um, it was released, I think July 31st. And that's kind of when cases went down to like the low hundreds and people were like, oh, like we've beat it, you know, like we don't need this app. Yeah. So I think that definitely has the big part of why like the uptake wasn't as, 
good good as it could have been. Mm-hmm. It almost needs like a relaunch, like COVID app V2, uh, <laughs> second wave edition. It's got RGB lights now and uh, it's in- integrated with Uber Eats. And, like, maybe that's what we need. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also worth mentioning, it's not even available in uh, BC and Alberta, which are like, you know, two super huge provinces, but like yeah. um, that... That's actually interesting. I didn't know that. I thought it had hit all of them by now. I knew Alberta was trying to. Were they not? So Alberta, they originally wanted to... Yeah, so they launched their own called AB Trace Together, uh, which was like a provincial uh, exposure notification app. But then like Apple only allow... Apple and Google's framework only allows for one app per country. So they kind of... um, The Alberta government tried to push the federal government to let them have their... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today own but obviously that didn't work out and i think I, I could be wrong but i don't think the alberta app has been that um effective i don't even think it's traced at least 100 cases by now um which is obviously pretty problematic since um i know a lot of resources went into that but from mm-hmm. last i heard uh, bc and alberta their governments either aren't fully on board with um its effectiveness that's that's I mean, one of the main reasons for sure, yeah. I guess it's a fair criticism, but less on the effectiveness of the app as itself, like I'm sure. Well, I mean, you did write about that one glitch about it kind of popping up on iPhones, users with a weird notification, but I'm less worried about the effectiveness of the of the app as opposed to the effectiveness of people using it. Is that what governments are worried about or are they like scared the app is is leaking data or something? No, I don't think it's about leaking data. It is more about just they essentially like not worth the hassle or they want some changes made to it before um, they roll it out to their residents. And just to, just to clarify one point, um, the COVID app alert itself wasn't the one uh, giving out the notifications. It was an issue with Apple's framework. So, Uh, okay. Yeah. So I know for sure, like I've been, I speak to the Canadian digital service, like every other week, honestly, about like updates and stuff. It is, it is Mm -hmm. pretty fair tight in terms of, um, privacy uh practices yeah i mean i mean the fact that the like privacy office went over it themselves is mm-hmm. something that i don't think happens to every app or any oh, other apps in canada 100 so people should feel like fairly confident in that they're like we get the highest level of person who determines privacy like this dude's probably got no windows in his house he cares for <laughs> privacy that much and yeah. here we are but who knows yeah um, and I, it, sorry just one more interesting point about yeah. that no, which go, you mentioned about the so once the privacy commissioner looked over the app, they did find some um, potential uh, issues with privacy, and then they sent it back and they fixed it. And then that's after yeah, that's when the commissioner approved it. So he didn't just approve it outright; he did like make sure it was rigor- rigorously um, like foolproof in terms of mm-hmm. uh, data. And that's something I think a lot of people don't know. Yeah, they probably don't. I think a lot of people don't know anything about this app other than it's got really trendy ads um and <laughs> yeah. i'm worried about that old guy in the commercial who catches covid and they're like walter catches covid and now your app is telling you like, but walter looks like seven, 70 maybe 65 i'm worried about him but yeah oh my gosh yeah 
Um, that's in, yeah, that actually is interesting. Do you have any other like interesting tidbits about the COVID app? I don't know if I have any questions left about it or any other ideas. Um, don't really think so, but I didn't answer answer your previous question about the mandate letters for other. Ministers. Oh, the new mandates. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I know I'm just kind of going off tangent no, that, here. That's okay. I mean, we're still getting much more actual business telecom news than usual Syrupcast. So I'm still Perfect. thinking this is a plus. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. So yeah, um, like I mentioned, um, the ministers got their mandate letters when they were um, appointed their positions back in 2019. So um, like I said, uh, Champagne got an, uh, a new mandate letter. But another interesting one that relates to the telecom and tech space is um, the finance minister, who's Christian Freeland, uh, her updated letter renews plans for digital sales taxes. So this isn't exactly uh, surprising because last year the government delivered its fall 2020 economic statement in November, which said that it, it was planning on doing this. So it is it's basically the government wants to apply um, this tax to foreign-based companies uh, like Netflix and Spotify. Uh, right, yes. So this is sort of like the infamous Netflix tax that people yep. have been talking about for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing Patrick pointed out before, when he was looking over the notes is we probably should do some sort of like explainer on it. Do you want to take that on just because you yeah. know, I know you know more? But okay, cool. For sure. Just um, like a quick for people who don't know, because it's not a tax just for Netflix. It's not a tax because of Netflix. Netflix tax yes. is just the uh, slang term for this tax, I guess. Yeah, you got but it. If so, you could, if, but if you could explain, yeah, what it actually applies to, that'd be cool. Yeah, for sure. So basically, we call it the Netflix tax. So I'm just going to like you clarified, it's not just going to apply to Netflix. So it's essentially a, a federal tax that will apply to international companies selling digital services to consumers in Canada. That's the definition the government has given. So like I said earlier, this would uh, apply to Netflix, Spotify, Airbnb. So under this tax, these companies would be required to collect and remit federal tax. So to put things into context, under current rules, these these companies haven't had to... Um, charge GST or HST when they're selling their services. But with this new tax, which has been dubbed um, the Netflix tax, these companies would be required to do the same thing as Canadian companies like, um, for example, Crave. So this is what the government means when it says it wants to put international companies on a level playing field with uh, Canadian companies. So essentially, Crave... I, I don't. I think the base price of Crave is ten dollars, and I think it's ten dollars for the extra add-on, the HBO one, and then five for the other one. But I, so the base price of Crave is ten dollars, but all of that money is not going to Bell currently, right? So there is tax on that ten dollars. So like thirteen percent or whatever is coming out of that in Ontario at least, and then going to the government. Am I correct? But on the ten, I know Netflix isn't ten dollars anymore, but just to compare for comparison's sake, the Netflix ten dollars that you're paying. All of that's going back to Netflix and none of that going back to the government, aka the economy. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. You're correct. That's that's cool. exactly what it is. Because currently right now, um, Netflix honestly isn't required to do that, which is which has been the case like, you know, forever. And I think it it's a loophole that the government has been wanting to close because mm-hmm. um, they want these companies to be investing in Canada's economy as well, just like these other Canadian companies are. Well, closing that loophole can, I mean, it can generate huge returns. Just think about how many people subscribe to Netflix. I don't know a single person that doesn't have a Netflix account, I think. So like just Netflix itself is huge, but all of those like streaming music, like you said, Airbnb, um, do you know if this applies to like the app store, the Google Play store and like 
uh, digital like video games and movies and stuff because I mean that's a huge business as well. Like tax wise, it could bring in a lot of money, but there is. I'm not yeah. going to get too far ahead of it, but there is a a dark cloud behind this, is there not? <laughs> yeah. Um. So I I can't remember it off the top of my head, but the government has given a figure of like. I'm not even going to try to make up a figure, but it's close to like a billion over the next five years. It might even be more than that mm-hmm. in terms of what they could get by imposing this new tax. And obviously it's been met with backlash from Canadians because they're the ones who are going to be paying the tax. You know, like experts have said that like Netflix is just going to add the tax uh, to their charge. Sorry, not just Netflix, but like Netflix, Spotify, everybody else. They'll just be adding on the extra couple dollars a month. I'm not sure. I can't really do math, but to their, um, the price of their plans. So it is going to be us paying for it. And like, obviously it is from what I've read online on like forums, responses to my article. Some people are like, yes, it makes sense for these companies to invest. But at the same time, it does kind of suck for us because we'll be paying like a couple more dollars each month, which can, you know, add up towards the end of the year so. I do, oh, I do sure. understand the the backlash, but to be honest, we kind of knew it was going to be coming. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, when you put it that way, like we can't complain about it that much. But yeah, it does suck. Like I know I already pay. Yeah, like I said, everyone I know already pays for all these things, but they also pay for Prime and exactly. cloud storage and uh, Photoshop and Visco and all sorts of other random subscriptions that people pay. Those are mostly my examples, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone's and like that's during fatigue is that's gets old really fast. So I mean, do you think if they implemented this tax, it would be like Netflix is like, okay, you did it. Uh, our price is going up. Let's say pretend Netflix is ten dollars. Our price is going up a dollar thirteen cents, whatever. Um, do you think that happens right away, or do you think that's kind of like a slow burn, like we kind of see already with Netflix, just every couple of years or months, just raising its price a little bit, and so, then just level it out over time. Yeah, just to put some more context into this the ta- sure. the new tax changes are proposed to begin on July 1st of this year so mm, the okay. government is clearly ready to push for this but in terms of when the companies would start um raising prices i i i can't really say anything right now because we don't know what to expect all we do know is that we don't expect them to just um keep prices the same because to be honest they need to make up the lost revenue somehow So I'm not sure if it would be a gradual thing. It's just something we're going to have to look out for in the upcoming months. That's so sad. That's not what I want to be looking (laughs) out for. I don't want to be like looking out for uh, more price increases. You know, I want want price drops. Um, But yeah. Yeah. And like, sorry. Netflix raises prices too. So Um, like you mean like they've already raised their price? I think they introduced price uh, increases. Like I want to say towards the end of last year i think you're right it was in the late fall if i remember um yeah which is like a very expensive subscription now if you want like 4k and i don't Mm -hmm. know what the number of screens running at the same time but this sort of like family plan aspect of netflix is like 20 almost 20 dollars i think which is kind of crazy considering yeah crazy considering what it started at yeah i don't know streaming is something that's just across the board in such like a weird space and I know I'm like kind of getting off topic here, but I just I saw something the other day and I guess, do you think Apple TV is going to make it? I'm kind of like, it's such a turbulent time and like, Ooh. I just don't know about Apple TV. I'm kind of worried about it. I think it's, I mean, Apple has the bankroll, but I don't they, know. How, I, how long will they carry it before they decide this isn't really worth it? Yeah. I mean, we just saw 
what was that quibi we just saw quibi die like last year oh yeah so that, that was one, interesting that one though was a bit different i mean i guess so i was no, just gonna I say agree. like i didn't different. know I think I have friends that are aware of Apple TV and I can like name a few people that have it. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not Netflix scale, but like if I walked into a conversation, my buddies, I was like, yo, you guys checking out those latest Quibi shows? They'd look at me like at <laughs> three heads. They would have no idea what, exactly. what I was talking about. So that was a fair one. Although I do have a Roku TV, so maybe I'll go back and try to watch like something. Punked. I think Punked was on there. I don't remember what else, but yeah. No, just going back to Apple TV, I know I just read like a headline this morning and it was like it only uh, has like 3% of like the shares in like the streaming industry. I might be quoting that wrong, but obviously there is some turbulence there, but I don't know. We'll see. They do have some good yeah, stuff. I agree. I actually really like it. I mean, I think we, I, we talk about this in the regular Sharpcast a lot, but like I, I talk about it for all mankind, uh, mm-hmm. Ted Lasso, that home show where they sort of like chef's table, but houses. Mm-hmm. And Little America, all of those I really, really liked. Like, absolutely love them. Like, they were almost some of my favorite shows of last year. So, defending Jacob yeah. with Chris Evans was pretty good too. I my one I said earlier, I have one friend that I know that has Apple TV, and that's the one that they talk about as well. They really mm-hmm. like that. It's pretty good. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like there's bad content there, but uh, like we talked about earlier, the prices are going up. People are already subscribing to so much. It's hard to like squeeze in this one service that has like seven. Uh, shows or Mm -hmm. more but seven shows and let's say for the average person maybe three worth that they're like excited about one maybe that they're really excited about but it's a tough sell it's a tough sell for sure that's for sure um i guess looping back we were just talking about the other ministers and their mandates and that that brought us to the netflix tax is there was there anything else kind of related to the tech sphere and that shakeup um no i guess it's just that it is something we're going to see this year for sure. I know it's been it's been making its uh, rounds in the in the news for the past couple of years. This like oh, dubbed the Netflix tax, but I don't even know how many years before either of us were in the industry. This oh, was definitely a big thing for sure. Like, I remember reading about it in school, like high school, maybe even. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eight, I feel like they could be running this for like eight or more years. Maybe this just seems yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll just be looking out for that towards the middle of this year for sure. Fair enough. Um, one thing we, we talked about before we started recording, but I guess we'll just go over it briefly now, was you were saying Starlink now is inviting more Canadians to the beta or inviting Canadians in general to its beta. I thought we were already in, but can you clarify that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So prior to, I think the change went live like last night. So okay. prior to last night, you could only participate in the beta if you got an email from Starlink inviting you. So basically before this, the process was you would go online on their website, enter your address, and they'd be like, cool, we'll get back to you if you if we have like beta opportunities in your location. Mm. And like you'd have to wait for them to email you. But now um, after last night, the website has sort of been uh, tweaked. So you can go put in your address. And if you're eligible, you can sign up, sign up right then and there. So you don't have to like wait for an invite. You can literally just order the hardware right then and there and just... Obviously, I know it's something people have been waiting for. So this small tweak it does is, yeah. open it for um, a lot more Canadians because you can just sign up immediately if you're eligible for it. Yeah, um, I guess I should clarify this before I started. But Starlink is the Elon Musk's Tesla-backed, SpaceX-backed, uh, low-Earth satellite, satellite internet startup company. <laughs> yep, um, That it. is the correct name. That's on like every letter we get from them. That's at the top. That's, yep. real, that's a real title. Um <laughs> 
But yeah, so it's basically satellite internet for a long time has been satellites high up in space. These satellites are lower, which should A, reduce latency and uh, supply a more consistent connection because there will be more satellites in a different orbit. And it's really getting above my my pay grade of explaining <laughs> the difference between lower satellites and regular Earth uh, satellites. Mm-hmm. But basically, this is new type satellite, and it allows for better, faster, 100 megabytes per second connections for people living in really remote spaces. That's why this is exciting, especially for Canadians. Yeah, I was looking into it back when I was spending more time at home uh, in the fall. Just because of my parents and my grandparents, a lot of people in that area live in very like rural spots. Mm-hmm. Um, like actually, a lot of them use Primus, which just got sold to Distributel the other day. Right. Um, because essentially, Primus was reselling Bell lines for slightly cheaper, and so everyone that I know in that area is using Primus. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, Starlink could be a good alternative if, in the future, if it rolls out and is stable. I mean, we don't know that much yet. But essentially, what what is it? It's like a four or $500 satellite you have to buy. And then you set that up on your property and you kind of can get internet from that. Am I off base? Yeah. So it's $129 per month. And the satellite dish itself um, or like the equipment the, that you need for it is $649, which is like a one-time payment. Okay. Yeah. So I know the price itself has put off some people, but some Canadians who are desperate are like, like this is, this is reasonable. Like, give it to me now. Like, mm-hmm. I know um, – it's unlimited, right? Yes. That, yeah. So, I mean, that's huge for anyone that's already on like a satellite connection, I think. I know that satellites were going more unlimited, but still, I mean, that's big. Yeah. So, um, it, it, it depending on price, it I guess it depends on like your current experience with your current provider. And I know some people are, are paying like um, somewhat similar prices in like the super remote, remote areas. So, just mm-hmm. in terms of like customer testimonials that I've read so far, people are quite happy with it. Um, and I know they're rolling it out to some like First Nations reserves, which is super important and like something our own government hasn't been able to do that well. So I know it's it's gaining a lot of popularity for um, understandable reasons. Yeah, we shouldn't really... We, we shouldn't dive too deep into the digital divide on this episode, but doing an episode on the digital divide itself actually would be quite interesting. I know, I'm, I don't know if you saw it, I think it was yesterday, Tech Savvy put out this or was tweeting about this report that was done uh, by someone or some school or something, I think. Uh, and it was just about the digital divide in Toronto alone. And it sort of had heat maps about like, you know, where people or where like the, I guess like more like low income neighborhoods where people are having trouble getting online and like how those people were getting online. There's a lot of people going to like Tim Hortons parking lots and libraries and things like that. So uh, the digital divide is, is a super, super real in rural and urban Canada, but even within urban Canada itself, I didn't even think there would be a divide, but there was. Um, Yeah. And I mean, obviously the COVID pandemic has like just heightened this need for it because now it's like your whole livelihood once you're working from home. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was a, a Post article. I don't know if it was like financial post or just regular post, but it, I think it was like about some dude who had basically been like driving to Tim Hortons every day for months and months and months and just mm-hmm. working from his car because he needed Wi-Fi and that was like the best way to get it. Yeah, there's unfortunately um, lots of instances where people have had to do that for like the past, what has it been, like 10 months or so in the pandemic? So yeah, it's unfortunate for sure. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, super crazy. But yeah, and like, but what you said though, I guess specifically the digital divide in First Nations communities, which is like very important, mm-hmm. um, could be solved by Starlink. And I think that's just really the biggest thing. I guess maybe the last thing to say about it is just Starlink is a lot of promise, and uh, for a like, 
very rural nation like Canada, it's very exciting. Um, because like you may have heard us talk about earlier, our phone plans are already so expensive. So getting home internet down, also very important. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say on these on these topics. Do you have anything else before we sign off, Aisha? Um, no, I think we've covered quite a bit in a short amount of time. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's actually pretty cool. I'm excited about I'm excited about this episode. I'm excited about doing more uh, in this topic. I personally feel like I've learned a lot, so very happy with that. Perfect, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for t- thanks a ton for coming on, and, and like we said earlier, we're hoping to do more of these. Um, but do you want to tell where the, tell the people where to find you online and where to find your work? Yeah, for sure. So my work can be found in the uh, business section of the Mobile Syrup website. Usually, that's where most of my stuff is. Occasionally, in the news uh, segment as well. But um, you can find me on Twitter at a i i s h a m a l i k one. I know that's a mouthful. <laughs> But I have a pretty common name, and it's like the best I could come up with like three years ago when I made my account. No, that's pretty good. And yeah, spelling it out is a good idea for sure. Um, I know John always has to spell his out because like John without an H is kind of uncommon, confuses people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and thanks for coming on. I'm Brad Bennett. You can also find my work on mobilesyrup.com and uh, like some of our social channels. And you can find me on Twitter at the Bradfad. Um, oh, and just so Pat doesn't get too mad at me for taking over, you can follow Mobile Syrup everywhere, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Mobile Syrup. Thanks. Bye.